morning, everyone, and welcome to this Treasury One webinar, the last one of the year. I was so excited about it that I got the time run in Ghost Mail basically the whole week. I kept saying it will start at 9 a.m., and uh, clearly it's starting at 9.30 a.m., so I do apologize for that, and uh, hopefully you all saw that when it went into your diaries and it didn't mess you around too much. So this morning, as per usual, we've got Bichat Saliers and Andre Boetze, the team from Treasury One. You know these guys if you've attended the webinars before. Certainly if you read Ghost Mail every morning, You'll always see great updates on what's going on with currencies, commodities, interest rates, inflation. That's all coming from this team and certainly grateful to have those insights inside Ghostmail. I'm going to stop now because uh, I have the least uh, useful things to say this morning. I'm going to hand over to the team now and uh, please do enjoy the webinar. Most importantly, keep your questions coming. You can write them in the chat box and uh, I'll pick them up as we go and we can have a really cool interactive session. With that, over to the team. Thank you. Yes, good morning. Thanks, Finance Ghost. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for attending the, the webinar. It's nice having everybody here again. Um, as per usual, I think the title of the webinar is The Likelihood of Recession. Um, in South Africa, we've avoided the recession by good quarter three GDP numbers, although it's from a low base and all of that. But I think everybody's going to ask questions about Pala Pala. So if you want to ask your questions about Pala Pala, feel free to ask them on the right hand side. I think Andre is going to kick off just in a brief discussion about Pala Pala and the impact that it's had. Um, like I said, everybody's, that's what everybody's on everybody's lips about what's happening in the political sphere. So just from the answer is we're not political analysts, so it's difficult to make uh, political answers um, around what it, what's gonna happen. What we're gonna talk about is just how it will impact the currency and what we're thinking about, about happening in the currency market at the moment. But I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to hand over to Andre. Andre, uh, please take it away and uh, give us a little presentation. And like Finance Go said, just here on the right hand side, if you've got any questions, just feel free to ask them. We'll, we'll tackle them uh, at the end. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks, Vichat. Thanks, Finance Ghost. Um, yeah, let's start off with our discussion for this month. It's what is the likelihood of recession in 2023 and what do we think? Um, this is a broad spectrum um, presentation, not just focused on South Africa, but um, because economies are so integrated worldwide, this is likelihood of a worldwide recession in 2023, and that will filter down into South Africa. So to start off with, just look at the landscape currently in the world. Um, currently, we've got geopolitics. This war in Russia is still waging on. Um, it's continuing unabated. We just heard news of new, new forces that the Russians want to put into Ukraine. So that's going unabated at the moment, and that will um, sort of keep, that will still keep focus in 2023 uh, with oil and, and all the supply of that. We had an oil price shock, as you all know. Um, it, oil has steadily come down now, but that's due to um, lack of demand of a looming recession in 2023. And you will see with the oil price and it, it fluctuates quite violently between whether the Chinese government wants to open the economy. When you hear rumors about that, you see the oil price spike again. When you hear new COVID infections, oil price goes down, goes down again. So that is very much to play. It's the Chinese government is sort of playing hide and seek at the moment in terms of opening the economy, closing the economy and all that. Um, if that opens up again, we'll probably see the oil price rise again. And then we saw the whole theme for the year was inflation. That prompted aggressive rate hikes. Um, 
what is the price that we had the what is the price of hiking so fast so quickly or so aggressively so quickly and then we come to the hot topic at the moment and that is pala pala uh, what we saw with that is we saw the rand weakening quite aggressively when the new, when the story first broke and there was there were rumors about Cyril resigning then the rand almost lost a rand in a day which is quite unprecedented and then from that we sort of got news filtering through that no Cyril's not resigning He's, he's going to fight the, or take this to court, see if there's any foot to stand on. Um, most of the ANC is behind Cyril now. There's some descending voices from opposition parties and within the AC, but we think that for the most part, um, things will, the status quo will remain up until the elective conference, where we think the same thing will happen, where Cyril will, will get the majority. As Lichat said, we're not political analysts, which is what, what we're broadly thinking. And that the the big news at the moment has been that the fall of the rand has been arrested with Cyril staying on. In saying that, we've also seen the US dollar weakening in the same time that the rand lost some ground. And if all things were equal, um, if we were still, if this was still last week, we probably have seen the rand around 1660, 1650. But seeing that the rand is currently at 1730 with the euro dollar at 105. It just shows us that there is a risk premium in the RAND at the moment. And with this being South Africa, things aren't always being as linear as we would think it would be. We can expect that there would be some, if there's some adverse news out of the elective conference or the next couple of weeks regarding the presidency, that that risk premium will only increase in the RAND and we'll probably have some, some more um, RAND volatility. Other than that, we also have the uh, that's also blocking the, the South Africa at the moment is infrastructural deficiencies. That's ESCOM. We all see that load shedding is yet to stay for a while now, stage two, stage three. And that's sort of going to become the new norm going into 2023. And that's going to place a lot more um, strain on the economy. Normally, we had a couple of days where there's no load shedding, but it seems that load shedding is going to become embedded in our economy for the, the foreseeable future. So that will also work into the economic number of South Africa. And lastly, this all, all the things I'm saying to would probably be, what is the chances of us having a recession coming in the coming year? So let's start off with what starts a recession. And normally with the, what this graph just shows you is if there's an oil price shock that we had in the past, like we had in the past year, that normally leads to a recession. You can see that the, the darker shaded areas are normally when a recession happens and that's always after oil price shock, just like the one we had at the moment, there is a recession that coincides with the oil price shock. You can see from 1973, every time there's an oil crisis or oil price shock, there is something, there is a recession that follows that. So just looking back, this is what we've got a couple of metrics, but one of the metrics is an oil price shock. And we've seen that it's almost, I don't want to say it's gospel, but it's quite clear that they could be a recession following an oil price shock. That leads into what does the leading indicators tell us? Some of the leading indicators are turning lower and dropped far enough to raise a recession flag. We've seen that every time there's a there, there's a, a drop in the leading indicators, um, that there would be a recession following. What is a leading indicator? That's just um, like housing and stuff like that, stuff that leads the economy into what's happening next. Um, we expect the leading indicator to drop further as central banks are still hiking, quantitative tightening takes place. 
and the full effects of the monetary tightening system comes into view and just how tight the monetary cycle is we expect that will be, that will reduce people's disposable incomes and thus just um, put the leading indicator further down and go into a recession um, another thing that we need to know is how does inflation and how does this whole hiking cycle work in the rest of the world so let's go to the eurozone where we see there's a cost of living crisis currently in the eurozone and we can see that um, in terms of the eurozone is at the most extreme in terms of the world and that's just because if high inflation doesn't cause a cost of living or hiking interest rate doesn't cause a cost of living inflation to battle inflation then inflation will so the less your money is worth the more your cost of living crisis is and as we can see at the moment the euro era real negotiated wages are declining um there's just the result is disposable incomes of households is getting lower and lower with the energy crisis with everything becoming more expensive with the eurozone not fighting inflation early with the with the interest rate hikes uh, they let inflation run a little bit longer and that has caused disposable income across the whole eurozone to fall down quite significantly um, that just means that there's no there's no um, demand for valuable goods and people are sort of just living day to day the cost of living is becoming a lot lot more expensive for the guys in euro the eurozone so that means production is also down and that will lead to a recession in the eurozone um just just this is just the german economy just just as a example we see that every time in 2008 there was a bit of a, a drop due to the global financial crisis but now we can see this is more systemic this is the the the, the demand for durable goods relative to non-durable goods as well below zero and this is what this chart shows us which means that people aren't buying big consumption ticket items and they rather do the cost of living or the the this the, the needed goods rather than buying more expensive products which means that the production of more expensive products would go down which means the economy slows down and we go into a recession but this is just not the, this is not the eurozone's problem alone um, we've all seen the good data out of the us but we think that do good data is only here for a short while a little while longer because what is happening in the years we've seen that central banks are reducing their balance sheets um this is with the belt tightening this is as this is, will have a significant drain on consumption this also impacts bank lending bank lending we need to get the economy going when people need access access to credit just to get the economy started again without that um, we go into a liquidity drain that will impact the financial markets that will impact growth that is in a nutshell with high interest rates and liquidity draining at the same time it gives us a little uh, a perfect storm of tighter monetary conditions and without that stimulus in the economy we can expect the economies to slow down and we can expect the recession to follow um, just just as in terms of one of the other leading indicators in the us is the expectations of consumers uh, we've seen the first signs of the us consumer just basically shutting down or or not being as confident in the us economy as it once was as you can see all the gray bars that that are in the in the graphs are are recessions 
and we've seen that the US, US consumer's confidence is probably at one of the lowest stages that it ever has been. So despite the good data out of the US, we see that, that the um, US consumer is currently under a lot of pressure. And normally when the consumer is under pressure and doesn't feel rosy and expectations are low in the US, we see that there's a, probably a significant risk of a recession coming. So just to illustrate this in a, in a graph, this is the rising recession probabilities where we see that due to the private or the central banks of the various countries hiking interest rates at an alarming rate, um, we see that the, that the probability of recession just increases quite, quite significantly in the last couple, of, last couple of months. This one is up to October. We've seen that probably with some interest rates hikes and the further monetary tightening that this will probably be a bit higher. Um, as you can see with the Eurozone, um, with, the, with, with the graph we had a couple of slides ago where everything is slowing down and consumers are, are not looking or not looking too rosy or the economy is not looking to raise and they still have high inflation, that Eurozone prediction is probably closer to 100% than the 75 we have here. So we expect the Eurozone to go into a recession quite early next, next year. Um, the US year is at 50%, but we still believe if they continue hiking, um, I know Jerome Powell came out last week and said that they will still hike, but in smaller increments. But there still has to be a wash through of the other hikes that they had. And we probably see that the US will probably go into a recession next year as well. Um, they're talking about a soft landing. I'm not too sure that, that that's, that that's going to be the case because a lot of the effects that they, that or the hikes that they put into now will only have an effect next year already. So we'll probably see worse data in the US becoming steadily worse and that most of the big economies will go into, go into a recession. As I said, with this was October already, we're a couple of months along, uh, the situation was only going to, going to get a little bit worse. So we expect that number of the prob probability of recession to be a, bit, a little bit higher. But the leading one at the moment is the Eurozone. We expect that to be closer to 100% already. Uh, and the UK as well, and closely followed by the US. So the big economies of the world are facing uh, rising probability of recessions. And with the economies being interlinked, it's only a matter of time before that flows into emerging markets like the RAND and where the RAND will start to get affected or the South African economy will start getting affected by it. Um, this is all to do with one of the earliest signs of the recession was the inflation um, episodes that we had last and this year. Uh, just to draw attention to this graph, as I said, the grayed out areas, the little gray bars are normally where recessions were. And as you can see with every recession, there's been a spike in inflation. But this is the biggest extreme bout of inflation we had in a long while. I know it's from low basis, but just the size of inflation at the moment just indicates that central banks had to work a lot harder, a lot faster and more aggressive to fight inflation. We've seen inflation coming down in the US and so on. And just that, that, that willingness to fight inflation or the aggressive nature of hiking interest rates, um, we just think that the economies will be a little bit unbalanced and with the spike in, in inflation, that will lead to a recession as, a, as an outcome of the hiking interest rates as high as they were and fighting inflation. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, that will, that's probably the only course of action central banks had when inflation started printing at 8 9% in the US was to hike interest rates quite aggressively and hiking them most probably into a recession. A recession. But the best indicator for a recession to happen is probably inverted yield curves. The inverted yield curve, US yield curves, um, just to explain what a yield curve is for those who don't know, the yield curve graphically represents yields on similar on similar bonds across a variety of maturities. Um, an inverted yield curve occurs when the short-term debt instruments um, have has got a higher yield than the longer-term instruments of the same credit profile. Just, just that's just a bit of a uh, how, can, how can I put this? Um, in Afrikaans, there's a there's a good saying, but I'm not going to use this. Um, just just a bit of the way you normally expect that longer dated maturities will have more risk to it, will have higher yields. This is just the inverse of that, where the um, the shorter term instruments have got higher yields than the longer terms. That's due to although an inverted curve is very unusual, it reflects bonds investors' expectation for a decline in longer term interest rates. So they expect interest rates to be quite high in the short term, but in longer terms, interest rates will will um, diminish. And that's normally associated also with recessions, where interest rates are quite high in the short term, but the longer term view is that interest rates will go down. Um, we Normally, there's a lot of proxies you can use for this um, yield curve. Uh, the one that we have is a 10 by two year, and it's been the most inverted since the 1980s. As you can see from the graph there, um, every time there's a yield curve, curve inversion, we see that there's a recession. This is the most inverted the yield curve has ever been since the 1980s. Um, the smart money is that that uh, this time will that the Fed won't get the soft landing right, because previous times it's been an America only thing. Um, this is a situation where there's low growth across the world. Um, there's a global coordination in hiking and inflation worldwide. So this will have a knock-on effect going forward. And with the yield curve being inverted, it hasn't been wrong since, since the records have been kept in predicting, predicting um, recessions. So um, this is probably one of the best charts to say that a looming recession is coming. The next one is just manufacturing because if economies works on manufacturing, we could see in, in COVID here that the PMIs were, were below the 50 watershed mark. The 50 watershed mark separates expansion from contraction. When there was COVID hit, as you can see, there was a lot of contraction, not a lot of put, not a lot of manufacturing. Um, that's a given. But after COVID, we saw that manufacturing picked up again. People were, um, everything was looking rosy. Everybody was happy with the economy. And then all of a sudden, the slow trundled down as global monetary conditions became a lot more tighter. We saw PMIs coming down below that 50 mark. While the US is just above the 50, we, we expect that to be below 50 going into next year. So that just puts what the, the confidence, the global confidence in manufacturing is in a contractionary state, which only fuels fire to adds fuel to the fire that we could experience a recession in 2023. Now, um, this is broad based. As I said, this is what we these are some of the indicators that we watch in terms of what's if there's a recession um, looming. And globally, just looking at the graphs, globally, it all suggests to us 
that there might be a recession about that there's quite a strong possibility rather that there, there could be a recession coming next year and now the question becomes we we looked, looked at the funnel from a wide wide view now we're sort of going into a narrow view and my last couple of slides are just what will a recession be for the RAND for South Africa what will the RAND do in terms of when there's a recession looming in a worldwide recession the first one is I just want to draw your attention to this graph just to see what what happens when the rand goes when there's a recession in the market in 2018 or 2008 with the global financial crisis we saw the first reaction of the rand when a recession hits when global conditions are not that good is to weaken quite significantly but following that you see slowly but surely when demand gets down because of a recession the rand pulls back and comes into um, overvalued territory just because demand is down and as soon as there's a if you look at the graph from start to finish as soon as there's some sort of international monetary event or economic event the rand spikes up a little bit but then as things peter out and things start washing through the economy we can see that the rand um, normally comes back below that zero percent line into overvalued territory at the moment where we are currently the rand is already undervalued but this is um, down to a stronger us dollar but what we as what we think is due to a stronger us dollar the rand is only an over undervalued against the us dollar but looking at this graph you could probably see if there's a recession probably going to happen that's probably going to happen in the first part of 2023 we could see that the rand weakens in a knee-jerk reaction but in saying that, our base case is still that if a recession happens, the RAND weakens at the, in the, at the start of the recession, but slowly comes back towards the undervalued or overvalued category or, or side of the, of the graph as demand dwindles for US dollars and we move into the back end of the recession. So just to illustrate this graphically, why we say the RAND is a bit um, undervalued against the US dollar, just looking at the, the two charts here, um, the RAND is extremely under, over, undervalued against the US dollar, if you can look on the left-hand side. Um, we've seen the US dollar losing a bit of ground in the last couple of weeks, the last week or so, but the RAND didn't move that with our whole pala pala story with the risk premium being built in. As I said, we probably should have been closer to 1660, 60, if that didn't happen. So with excluding that risk premium, we currently see that the US dollar is starting to weaken and that undervalued overvalued graph of the RAND will start to move to 0%. But keep in mind that if there's a recession that we could see the RAND being undervalued against the dollar again, just in the first knee-jerk reaction of it. And as we go on, we will probably mean revert back to that zero line. On the right-hand side, it's just against the euro. And that just shows you that with the euro, we're quite fairly priced. So our main focus at the moment is where we are in relation to the to the dollar and how the rand our, our recession will affect the rand going forward as i said we expect the rand to lose lose some ground once the recession hits but after that um we expect the rand to pull back just as it has done in the previous recessions that we saw on the slide previously yeah um that's in short our view on what we think is going to happen in the world economy in 2023 what the chances are of a recession um, we think that the chances of a recession is quite, quite high, and we should brace ourselves once that should happen. That's my story for the day. Thank you very much for listening.
thank you so much, Andre. Um, finance Ghost, um, I'm going to tackle the questions because some of it's for yeah, you, it's some of it's for us. Go um, for it. If you don't mind. Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the questions I'm going to tackle is, is a question from Bavika that came here. says, do we think that the euro will become better or or running currency than the dollar and will the dollar continue to be a low currency yeah so what we think is is, is like andre said this eurozone is in, is in big trouble at the moment they've got uh, germany that normally the cost of gdp to run energy in germany is around six percent of gdp that's all spiked all the way to 18 percent of the cost of gdp so germany which is the biggest economy in the eurozone is under tremendous pressure at the moment the rest of the eurozone economies greece italy all of them is under, under tremendous amount of out of issues so we don't think the euro is particularly going to perform really well and Andre also said is the chance of a recession in the, in the eurozone is, is very very high they're behind the curve on interest rates the inflation is still running very hard they've got a massive amount of problems in the eurozone so although we think is everybody went to the dollar um there was the old saying i think i used it previously as well as when there's uncertain in certain times it's buy dollars and wear diamonds i think that still holds true so um but as soon as the rest of the world comes if the developed countries goes into recession like the eurozone like the uk like the us and people need in this stability coming around a lot of risk taking will will be will will rise again and then currencies like the rand the rest of the world will will perform better so we don't think the euro is going to perform particularly well in 2023 but it can possibly be on par with the dollar. Um, we still think the dollar is going to be under pressure sometimes when 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 risk sentiment returns to to the market. Um, then, Andre, for you, before I go over to finance, ghost is from Stephen. Is he says with the current landscape, a lot of indications of recession. How long do we foresee these conditions persist? Uh, he says indications are towards end of 2023 inflation should start abating and the rights rate cycle altered um what's your what's your opinion on this yeah uh but the, the call that i had through the presentation is that in the first half of 2023 we'll probably see the recession happening um just in terms of how long it would persist just going on on what all the graphs tell us in terms of the we in the or the biggest downturn in terms of years um, inverted inverted rates i think that the, the recession could be quite a while and um the the one thing that will will determine this is how long the fed will wait until they pivot um a lot of smart money is that they will start the last last month was around um march next year that they will that they won't um start they will stop stop hiking and then hold it for a couple of months before they will start cutting it by the end of 2023 I saw yesterday they were talking that there might be more incremental hikes next year into the middle of next year. But I think um, the recession will force a lot of central banks to act quickly. And probably by the end of next year would be where we start cutting rates and, and trying to st stimulate ourselves back out of a recession, if I could put it that way. Thanks, Andre. Then, so finance goes for you is uh, from the same guy from Stephen. He says, from a stock picking perspective, is it prudent to be conservative first off uh, and then switching to more, more growth? Yeah, that's a great question. So look, when it comes to equities, I, I, I'm i always a bit nervous of kind of the very macro view to say, you know, an index will do this or an index will do that. It's not really the way I'm made. It's more of a bottom up approach. And it's a great question because that is more of a sort of 
bottom-up question ultimately. I mean, the stuff you're looking for in stocks in this environment is stuff like pricing power. Um, you're looking for management teams who are allocating capital properly. There are far too many examples on the JSC and globally, make no mistake, of listed company management teams who behave like novice investors when they do share buybacks, for example. They do them when the stock is expensive and they stop when the stock is cheap, which is exactly the wrong way around. You know, stuff like that, you need to be, I think, you know, very careful of ultimately. Um, so defensive stocks like, yes, a ShopRite, for example, but, you know, be careful because if there's one thing we saw with Walmart this year overseas, defensive to a point, right? ShopRite doesn't make all its profits from selling you bread. They make all their profits from selling you lint chocolates and that fancy bribe pack that you feel like having this Friday. And, you know, for those who go to the big hypermarkets, the other stuff they're buying, the general merchandise. So within all these businesses, inevitably, there's a more defensive piece. And then there's a piece that relies on strong consumer spending. It's no different in the pharmaceuticals, for example. If you look at a business like Clicks, again, Clicks doesn't make you money by selling you drugs behind the counter. The margins are horribly low. They make you money by selling you a fancy kettle and all those little appliances and nice shampoo and everything else. So just, yeah, be a little bit careful with, with some of that. Um, the other one that I'm looking at that's interesting, I may as well just talk about now and then maybe we can jump onto the next question is just the local banks. So there were interesting updates out of Nedbank and Standard Bank recently. They are both still talking about growing return on equity in the medium term. So kind of the next few years and in banking return on equity is what it's all about. You know, that's what drives the price to book valuation of these things. And they've had a great year. They've both had a great year. All the banks have because, you know, you've got inflation, which means corporate balance sheets are growing. And for the corporates who want to maintain their debt equity ratio, what do they do? They then borrow against that balance sheet. Interest rates are higher. So net interest margin has actually improved. And funnily enough, our local banks versus the global banks are not as dependent on a hot equity market like a Goldman Sachs, for example. They're not as dependent on IPOs. We all know that JC has hardly had any listings, right? And now the premier has been cancelled to make it even worse. We just can't seem to catch a break. So the local banks are more traditional in their banking and they do lots of lots of lending into stuff like mining. So depending what happens with China, depending what happens with commodities, our local banks are actually pretty interesting. It's just something I thought I'd mention. It's something I've been watching this year um, and they have done well. And at the moment, the credit loss ratios are kind of okay. You know, they're looking, they're in those through the cycle ranges. So obviously if the economy gets really bad, that will change. Um, but I guess to answer the question in the world's most long-winded way, I don't know truthfully whether or not growth stocks are going to have an end of the year. I think the point is you've just got to keep reading the bottom up story whenever an important announcement comes out from these businesses and just think deeply about what is actually going on on the ground and don't make big sweeping assumptions. Like for example, ShopRite's highly defensive. It's just not always the case. So then the follow-on question from Robert is, his question, is it better to invest in shares or hold on to cash for the interim? Yeah, I'll take um, that um, yeah. with the, the big, uh, this is not advice disclaimer, um, because that question is very much on the, on the advice spectrum. Look, I, I mean, I can only tell you what I've done with my money maybe, but for me, you know, I think if you've got any debt, I think uh, getting rid of debt is not a terrible thing in this environment at all. You know, any broad equity index needs to return you a pretty serious return to make it worthwhile versus, you know, just paying off your bond, which is a post-tax yield return. Once you're debt-free, then, you know, you've got to start looking at, are you doing the fixed income options or do you want to be in broad equities? And again, in this environment, you know, fixed income doesn't look too terrible. Alternative assets have uh, grown in popularity significantly this year because a lot of them 
actually offer a yield and they are somewhat uncorrelated with broader equity markets. So I haven't been much of an index buyer this year. I'm not planning to change that going into next year. But, you know, cash also doesn't do anything for you. So I, I suppose if that's, you know, if that's something that appeals to you, a little bit of safety, I guess the best fixed income you can find is probably the way to go. Thanks so much. Um, then the question from Marlon is, if when South Africa's crisis, what do we think will the impact be? So Marlon, um, I'll tackle this quickly, is from the grad perspective, it will just make, from an offshore perspective, the checks and balances and the onboarding will take a little bit more time, but we don't think it will have a, a real massive impact uh, at this stage on, on, on South Africa. Um, we've seen other countries that think related like Mauritius come out of it, doesn't really have a massive impact on it. Um, like I said, it just makes the red type of doing business a little bit more onerous, but it doesn't really detract from capital flows into in and out of South Africa. From a currency perspective, about 65 to 70% of trade actually doesn't even touch South African borders. It's all traded offshore by hedge funds and fund managers and real money flows and the currency perspective. So for those for, for, the, for those you know, international players, it's going to make no impact. It's just for people that really want to invest in South Africa, it will have, a, have an impact and will just make the process a little bit more, more, more onerous. Um, then Andre, for you is... How long do you guys think it will take for emerging markets economies to follow the economies into a recessionary in, in environment? That's one of the questions. Um, yeah, that, my, my thinking on that is um, the US economy is still growing a bit bigger or just put in a South African perspective, the US economy is growing faster than the South African economy in a way. So um, that would be once the US economy and the Eurozone economy are in recession, I think it will be pretty much immediate just because we've got slow growth or low growth in this scenario. And if, if that trade in the production doesn't happen from, from the US, US and Eurozone or China for that matter, um, it could be pretty instantaneous. I think it's it's probably going to be very correlated in terms of the world markets. I don't think there's going to be a very big lag effect just because we are so interconnected. Thanks. Um, so Scott, you ask how much of the recession is risk is priced into the rent currently? Um, our slide suggests there's further end weakness and not, not much is priced in. So generally, like Andre also said, is generally when the US goes into recession, there's an initial knee-jerk reaction. So a lot of the data, so when you're going to a recession, it's all about two quarters and quarters negative growth um, that we're seeing. So a lot of the leading data that we're already seeing coming out of the economy sort of starts to indicate that recession is on its way. So it can either be that the spike that we saw towards 1850 this year was already the spike in the RAND and we're just waiting for the data to officially confirm the recessions and the RAND will continue to strengthen down the, down the line. Or possibility we can probably see the RAND spike again, like Andre mentioned, back to like 18, 1850. Very outside possibility of a 19, but let's say the spikes back to 18, 1850 again before the RAND starts to pull back again. Our expectations is still for the RAND to have a better better off in 2023 with a lot of volatility in the next three to four months space at this stage. Um, so 
Yeah, it's not priced in the only thing that's priced in, like Andre mentioned as well, is political risk at the moment. And we think the range should actually be stronger if we take out all the political risk. So just to continue on that, that train of thought is if Cyril Ramaphosa wins the ANC elective conference and all of the people that selected within the new top six and all of that positions, we can probably see more stability and probably see a little bit of a, a pullback further in, in, in the currency. Um, then, sorry, my scoots, what to add on to you, when do we expect to recover in the price of commodities like platinum and other precious metals? Um, like Andre said, it's all about what happens in China. They're the biggest, they've got a lot of demand for, for, for a lot of base metals. And that's been an on-off scenario about when they're going to open, not going to open. Then on the pre other precious metal sides, platinum and palladium, it's all used in the uh, motor industry. So with looming recessions across the board, um, demand for vehicles will also be probably be affected. So we don't think that platinum and palladium is particularly going to perform very well in the in the in the short term, but longer term as there's a switch to EVs, and that also probably not going to shoot the lights out. But a lot of the emission councils across the world with stricter emissions will be increased the use of platinum and palladium so maybe 18 months two years down the line there will be a bigger demand and we'll recover but in the short term we think there's just stability that comes into into the price and then lastly for finance ghost is from tasman she says as we sh as much as we shouldn't be moving clients money but how do you suggest we treat the client's money that's 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 a living annuity to protect the client's money? Yeah, that's something look, that's out of Tasnim, it's out of mind so too. It's very much a wealth management case. game, and I, I definitely am no expert on uh, retirement structures. I'm currently 34, so I thankfully um, don't need a living annuity. I guess all I will say on that, and it applies to anything, not just a living annuity, is protection of your money comes from diversification. Um, and I think people have learned some very hard lessons in the last couple of years. People who looked at, you know, the next hot stock and thought, well, if I just throw everything at this, you know, Warren Buffett, highly concentrated style, um, and then they sit 30, 40% down if they're lucky, sometimes 70 or 80% down. So diversification is not a bad thing. You know, for every Warren Buffett, there are 100 other people who lost all their money. And you could probably say a thousand other people. So just be careful with that. Um, you know, protection of your wealth comes from having different exposures, whether it's in a retirement structure or your own portfolio or whatever the case may be. Uh, I think try not to be a hero and back yourself too much on any one position and believe too strongly in your own analysis because the world is volatile. Stuff changes very quickly. And, you know, even if you were right, suddenly the world can make you run in a matter of minutes. Okay, Andre, then again for you is question from Craig is commodity prices and availability is approved globally plus shipping costs has collapsed. This looks like the end of inflation and will help markets bounce. Any views on this? Um, yeah, I think the, the main thing that we, we need to look on is just the, the tight monetary policy we have at the moment in terms of um, if we're going to a recession that's going to collapse demand as well. So in terms of commodity price, especially platinum palladium, that's a, as Vichar alluded to, that's a supply and demand game. So if, if demand, if demand doesn't create its, um, its own supply, then I, I think that the, that sort of, that sphere of the, the market could be in a bit of trouble going into recession. Um, 
uh, in terms of the end of inflation, I think we, we need to, to just take a step back here. And when in just in terms of the US, when the US in February, I think the inflation was 7.7%, if I'm not mistaken. And then it went up and last month we had 7.7%. Everybody was jubilant about the end of inflation. I think um, there's still a, a bit of a long road to trek in that, but it's looking better. But I, I think we, we, we first need to see the fallout of this aggressive hiking cycle before we think that markets will bounce and everything. It's just it, this go, everything going through the wash because the everything is still lagging from from that. And I just want to see what happens first. Uh, when it, when the whole, when the real economy gets gets all of the interest rate hike that we had, Craig, just to add on, there's an old saying that says the cure for higher prices is higher price. So, like I say, it's everybody like I said, everybody's jubilant about inflation coming down from eight percent to seven point seven percent, but it's still massively elevated, and. Um, Come from a high base, so it, it, although it turns, it's from a high base, so the higher prices is there to stay with us. Then, just before we end it off, finance goes, There's a last question for you again. I'm not sure if I want to tackle it. It says, How likely are we, ne how likely are we negatively to get impacted by the recession in South Africa? How long can we keep our current investments in JSE stocks? Will it be wise to move? You retain until then or do you advise alternative yeah stocks? happy to take it so, so look the base principle um, is south yeah. africa is one country in a very big world um so i always think you should have investments in different places right because you know why would you only choose south africa that's like only ever going on holiday to cape town and pretending the rest of the world doesn't exist it does exist and there's some great companies in it so find them and invest in them and i think with the jsc People tend to forget that the JSE's performance is often quite removed, especially at index level, from what's going on on the ground in South Africa. I mean, historically, with NASPAS process, you know, something would happen in Tencent that would have a huge impact on the index. That's got absolutely nothing to do with South Africa whatsoever. If you go and dig down into many of these companies, you realize how global they actually are. I mean, I'll use Bidcorp as an example, the food service business. They don't actually disclose, I don't think, how much revenue they make in South Africa, but it'll be like low single digits i reckon by this stage it's a huge international group so i think my my overall point is always on shares bottom up is not a bad way to go understand what you are actually buying because you might be investing on the jc and you might be the proud owner of a stock that has almost nothing to do with a recession in south africa actually you know or you might think you're buying something that actually is very offshore and when you really dig you realize mm, actually this is highly exposed to load shedding for example and consumer strength in south africa and everything else so there is no overall answer the jc is just a stock exchange technically speaking if meta wanted to they could come list here they won't but they could so just remember jc is not south africa it's just a stock exchange of companies and those companies yes they many of them operate here they have big investments here but they also do stuff all over the world so you know, dig in, go and learn as much as you can about them and uh, and make informed decisions. I think that's a lesson that a lot of people learned this year after a very jubilant period in the markets. And stay the course, you know, don't, don't give up because obviously it's been a tough year for a lot of people after a couple of years that was really very driven by macroeconomics. But long term, these are still wealth creation tools and being dedicated to learning about them can only be a good thing for you. Yeah, thanks for that. So with that, um, we're going to end the webinar. I just want to say thanks for Finance Ghost for giving us opportunity again to host us.
thanks for everybody's attending. I hope it was insightful. Um, Andre, thanks for presenting and giving us some market update. Yeah, so thanks everybody for attending. We hope to see you in the uh, beginning of 2023 for hopefully some better news about on the recession fronts. But yeah, for now, enjoy your December holidays. If you're out there, be safe on the roads. Yeah, from our um, side, thank you as well. See Cheers. You Cheers, everybody. Yes. Yeah.